hi, Mark. Thanks hey. for being on the channel with me. Hey, Brewbird. We're so happy to finally get a chance to meet a fellow Canadian that's been out and about and visited many other distilleries. Yes, yes. But uh, for today's interview, I'd like to focus on you, actually, and your journey. Uh, so I'll just ask you a couple of questions about like how you got started uh, opening the distillery and what it's been like since COVID started. Well, where do we get started? Well, growing up in Cape Breton Island, I built my first still when I was 13. So that was a few years ago. Uh, we came about after I retired from my last business, we came about decided that we want something to carry us into retirement. So once again, a distillery came to the forefront. Uh, we started playing around. I opened up a YouTube channel called still in Canada, and I show the journey of learning, exploring, building, designing, and, you know, coming through fruition into opening our own distillery. We got our place in, uh, January of 2019 and we spent the whole year building the place applying to the government uh not realizing the paperwork in canada is quite daunting but we knew when we got the place we would be anywhere from six months to 18 months before we could actually sell any product and you know we, we were quite aware of the fact uh, there's no big surprises we ended up at 13 months so we opened up in february the 6th of 2020 for two weeks, we made booze, and then for five months, we made sanitizer. Yeah, I heard. I think you were doing another video with someone, and you said you made a bunch of whiskey your first year, and then the police and the healthcare workers were knocking on your door asking for you to make sanitizer. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah they were actually, uh, those, those folks were driving up to our door, uh and the hospitals we donated to the hospitals when uh, before we opened we made uh, five totes of whiskey uh different kinds of whiskeys there, there's a few versions we're doing but we didn't have our barrels yet so we were still waiting for a large shipment of barrels um and they didn't arrive when this covid uh sanitizer need had hit so i looked over and i'm going oh this is gonna hurt so 5,000 liters of, of whiskey went right to sanitizer. So we didn't catch up again. Oh, my gosh. Until, yeah, we didn't catch up until the fall of this year, and uh, or the fall of last year, and we started barreling in October. Okay. How many barrels do you have right now? We're up to 10 right now, and we're going to continue on throughout the year uh, as, as you know, we time avails us. Once again, we're a very small distillery uh, in comparison to some of the others so although we want to be known for whiskey and we believe in all our testing we have a great product coming up uh you know it's it's going to be a hard sell without you know a couple hundred or a couple thousand barrels sitting behind you so uh we'll likely end up doing mostly cast strength single releases okay all right and what kind of whiskey are you making well, we have three versions right now. Uh, right now, we're doing a bourbon style, which, of course, we're Canadian. We can't call it bourbon. So that is a, a corn heavy, and it's going to have a uh, uh, wheat and an oat. And then we're doing a Canadian whiskey style, which is primarily a barley with a corn and a rye. So, you know, it gives it a really nice, crisp flavor. We're also barreling 100% rye at the moment. And come the fall, I'm building a malting machine 
And then we'll be working on doing a uh, uh, a Scottish style, 100% barley. But we're going to use Ontario peat to smoke it. Oh, wow. Uh, so do you do, for the rye one, you said it's 100% rye. Do you do the mash as well there? Oh, we do everything. Uh, every grain that we bring into this place, we bring in our, our rear door. I, I use my truck. I go get the grains at the local feed mill. Everything comes within a 50-kilometer radius of the distillery. So I'll pick it up. Uh, when we do rye, I've got a, uh, a basically a one-ton bag, and that's in the back of my truck. We forklift it out, bring it in, and we start the mash ton. We fill it with water, and we start it running. So we bring it up to our temp, and as soon as it's getting close to temp, then we weighed out all the rye grain we're going to use for that run, and we're going to actually grind it right then and there. And then it goes right into the mash ton. So it is freshly ground. You know, if, if you've ever had coffee that's been ground and sat for a long time, it does get stale. So do the greens. So the fresher we can make that, uh, you know, once again, grind it right in the mash ton. Oh, gosh. And how long does your 100% rye mash take? Because I know it gets very sticky and it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we use uh, uh, amylase, alpha and beta, and we actually don't have as big an issue as what you might suspect. So we're not we're not grinding it to a cornmeal. We're just cracking it open, and you know it's it is does thicken up. The amylase knocks that back down to a liquid. Basically, a rye mash uh, will take us about four to five hours. Okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. That's quite yeah. reasonable, actually. I'm surprised. Oh, right. So you said before that you built your first still when you were 13 years old? Yep, stole grandma's pressure cooker, added some copper to it, and that was it. That was it. What, I don't know, like what inspired you to make a still at that age? Uh, my cousins, they were already into it. So, you know, it's just a young kid and you're emulating the older ones and, uh, yeah, just fell into place. Okay. Did you, did you ever use it? Uh, well, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. you know, it's a, it's a different way of life and a different time in life. We, you know, we're talking the, the early seventies. Uh, life was a whole lot different there. And once again, if you hadn't been to Cape Britain, they call it the Maritimes for a reason. Uh, mostly everybody's friendly and get along. And in order to stay out of trouble, uh, things like doing that in the back 40 were never really uh, looked down upon. They were going, ah, he's quiet. He's good. That's quite a story. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. So then because you also created your YouTube channel uh, to document the process of starting your own distillery, although your channel isn't too active now, I don't think. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> I was actually just before we came on, I was just finishing a, a, a new edition of the channel. And I've got I've got about five episodes sitting in the laptop that I just haven't been able to get to. Uh, when COVID has been hard on us for time more than anything. Uh, when we opened up, I still had my main job. I'm still working 10 hour shifts and I have an hour drive each way. So that's, you know, that's 12 hours a day spent working at my, my daytime gig. 
And then you have the distillery and that's another five to six hours without even looking at the video. So it got to a point where something had to give. And when I was doing the straight uh, sanitizer, I was actually sleeping here. I slept underneath the stills. There's many pictures of me just lying there crashed. Uh, I was doing 18 hour days just trying to keep up the sanitizer. At one point in time, we had 26 fermenters on the go and it, it just wasn't enough. We were having such a hard time keeping up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to ask like, what, why did you start the YouTube channel? Like what, how did you get, even get that idea? <laughs> with one of your previous guests. So, you know, in when you decide, you know, I, once again, I did it as a youngster. I hadn't done it from, you know, that period of time in my life up until, you know, fairly five years ago, I guess, is when we started looking at it. So I hadn't done anything in that period of time. And, and I thought, okay, well, this is doable. And I started doing a lot of research and not just for recipes, but for procedures what type of system do I want? How do I want to do it? And what am I looking for? What do I enjoy drinking? So once again, you open up your liquor cabinet, look at what's in there. And unfortunately, my liquor cabinet has one of everything. So it's uh, we were kind of looking and going, well, we can't really go specialize in one thing. We've got everything. So as we're looking around, I'm on the uh, the forums. I'm seeing one fellow posting a lot, and that would be Jesse. So from still it now yes. I'm following him through all the, the, the boards. I'm reading everything he's writing and, you know, he's mentioning a YouTube channel and I thought, Oh, this would be kind of entertaining. So I started watching him, uh, as he started and it wasn't long for that before I started emulating. So I've done a lot of instruction in my life and I find it the fastest way for me to learn something is to teach it. So, you know, the, the oh. idea came that, you know, let's start the YouTube channel. We'll start from the very beginning, my learning, my discovery. Uh, we've done a lot of courses with uh, companies like Lalaman and that. So there's a lot of uh, uh, knowledge that I got fairly quickly, and I was able to pass that on. It allowed me to discover mm -hmm. what type of still I wanted to build because I built them all and tried them all. So, you know, uh, you're following Je uh, Jesse. And I think the world, Jesse, we're friends. And there's times where I'm watching what he's doing going, wow, I'm not doing it that way. And so now I'm, I'm looking and going a little more critique to what he's doing. I go, what he's doing is not wrong, but I think I'd rather go this route and try that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even, even if it's not something I'm agreeing with Jesse, I'm still learning from it. And then we came to George from Barley and Hops and Bearded and Board and, you know, all those guys. It just became a group of learning and, you know, I thought, okay, let's just document my trip of discovery for all of it, right up to the day we opened. And I got to there and if it wasn't for COVID, I would still be there. Uh, that's, you know, I feel really bad that the people that have subscribed to me, they've let them down, but I just don't have the available time. I am catching up now slowly and I hope to get back on track within the next month. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they understand. Like, it's a lot of work to open your own distillery. And then now we have the pandemic and all this other stuff. It's a lot on your plate. Yeah, that was the killer. I mean, uh, 
we did well in our first two weeks. Uh, we entered two competitions. We entered the U.S. Open Whiskey Competition and the Canadian Spirit Competition, the Artisan Spirits. <laughs> and so far in total, we have seven awards, including top five distilleries in North America. So we're exceptionally proud of our products and what we've got out. And we're still growing. We're still, you know, we're bringing our gins online the next couple of weeks. We've got some interesting flavors coming. Lisa is going to be working on absence and we'll be going at that as well. So we've got some neat things coming. And can you just kind of walk me through what it was like starting your distillery and what you had to go through? Oh, you know, it's, if you're really good at uh, just making stuff, that's not enough. You have to be a jack of all trades uh, to do this. Yeah. You are going to be the, website content person you're going to be oh, doing yeah. videos you're going to be doing you know photo shoots of your product you're going to be doing all your paperwork you're going to be designing your own labels so i mean that's a huge cost if you don't you know don't know how to do it you also have to learn how to build your own building how to install everything because uh, unless you come with a large deep pockets which will take forever to reclaim yeah. Uh, you have to know how to do things. So if the boiler breaks down, you better know how to fix it. You know, it's uh, that simple. We have a large laser sitting right behind me. I'm in the back room right now. You can see the stack to my boiler. And right in behind me here is the big laser. So uh, we do a lot of etching, a lot of promotional items, and all that's right in-house. So you never hired, like, uh, anyone to design your labels. That's all you? Yep, yep. So I do all the uh, the labels as well as uh, we designed our stills. So we had them manufactured in Wenzhou, uh, but it was all to our specifications. So we have some different changes on them that makes them work incredibly well. Okay. Wow. Because, you, know, cool. you know, the one thing when we were looking, a lot of the people are, are just filling up their fermenters, but when your rash is at 150 or 190 degrees, and we do that for gelatinizing the corn, and even though we use flake corn, you still have to aerate your product and you have to crash cool it before you do your yeast. So we designed our fermenters that once the liquid has sieved through the uh, mash tun through a false bottom, it goes to the fermenters. Once all that's pulled out, now we start cycling the fermenters. The fermenters all have cooling jackets on them. So we go out the bottom, through the pump, back up the top, and it just goes in the circle. So now we're aerating as we're cooling. And our yeast get a very healthy start when we uh, actually pitch it. Oh, that's interesting. You're, so you do this uh, back and forth process when you transfer from the, the kettle into, oh no, sorry, the mash tun into the fermenter? Right. So it goes from the mash tun through the pump into the fermenter. Once the fermenter is full and the mash tun's just about empty, then we choke yeah. the mash tun down to, to almost nothing. And then we start cycling out the bottom of the fermenter through the pump and back in the top. This also pulls out of the mash tun. So this is how we get our greens so much drier than what most people would. Uh, mm. it, because it's siphoning out the remaining liquid and it aerates, it cools down. So it only takes about an hour and a half to go from 150 down to 80. Mm -hmm. So between the mash tun and the fermenter, do you have a heat exchanger? Is it nope. getting cooled 
Oh, okay. So you're relying on the cooling jackets on the fermenter to cool right. the whole thing down. Right. They're doing double duty. So we don't need to install a chiller in our lines when we can do it the way we do it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess going from the bottom to the top will also make sure that uh, there's no heat stratification. It's like well mixed. That's it. It's it's constantly, uh, it's a two inch pump. So it, it's pulling a lot of liquid. As it's pouring in the top, it, it takes about a, a three foot drop to get to where the uh, level is. That aerates mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it does amazingly well. And how long does it take to cool the war or the it down to the right temperature yeah about an hour and a half so you know by the time we move it out of the mash tun it's sitting about 150 to 170 degrees we move it over and about an hour and a half later it's cooled down to pitching temperature okay okay that's pretty cool yeah i've never i've never heard of that system before so that's, yep, that's yep. interesting so that was one of the things that we did in our design uh you know, we could have went with the chiller and everything else, but we weren't fully sure if we were going to be doing a meal. And if you try and run a meal through a chiller, well, there's there's a, a source of being plugged and having nightmares. So we looked at the, you know, what's the easiest way and yeah, the cheapest way to get it through our system and, and do a proper job. It's amazingly fast and we're quite happy with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So when did you, you said you started selling products February, 2020. That's right. right? February the 6th, 2020. Yep. Okay. And then of course the pandemic started. So when did Ontario go into its first lockdown? Two weeks after we opened. <laughs> oh, that's, that's such bad luck. Okay. We're still in mm -hmm. lockdown. Uh, Ontario, uh, because of the third wave, they locked us down again. Uh, so our tasting rooms closed. Our our tours are closed. And, you know, once again, it allows us to stock up on some of our other things, get, uh, get, get our stock of shine and vodka and all that up. And it allows us to play a little bit more. So, like I say, we're just getting into our gins. We're not using a neutral green for our jib. We are actually making all our own base. So we're going to use our vodka, and uh, because it is a tri-grain mix, it imparts a really nice base. <laughs> All right. And how did you come up with your recipes? Because you have like an apple pie spirit, like a root beer spirit, and like yep. Dracula's flower, a lot of crazy things. <laughs> Uh, you know what? It's your imagination is your only limiting factor. Uh, <laughs> it's and I've got a really good imagination. Uh, last fall, we we had always planned, but we didn't know if we could do it. But last fall, at the last minute, uh, we were able to make an advent calendar. So that's twenty four different flavors. I refuse to have any repeat flavors in this calendar. And when we started. Uh, we actually lost the ability to make the calendar and it didn't happen until a fellow walked through our door the last week of October and he looked at us and he says, yeah, I can have the boxes ready. So then we had to order in all the 50 mil bottles and everything else. And, you know, we're starting to frantically get all these calendars together. And uh, the wife looks at me, she says, we're six flavors short. Okay. I said, leave it with me for a day. And the next day she came in, she had 11 flavors to choose from. 
And that's where some of the flavors like fluffer nutter and you know nutcracker and certain things like that. But how do you come up with these flavors? Do you like I, uh, you uh, know, what's your process of making? A lot of it is historical, uh, either our, our own history or in just uh, a, the world itself. Our gin, uh, what we did for the advent calendar, we had a Geneva gin, and the recipe we found from that was actually from the 17th century. So it was it was a knockout gin. You have to love gin to like this one. But uh, and we're we're right now we're working on London Dry as well. So and a rose gin. That's two of the ones we're working on now. Uh, Flaffernutter. Flaffernutter. It, it, we were sitting there going, okay, well we got to fill the advent calendar. Both my wife and I used to in the evening uh, instead of having chocolates or things like that around the house, we would toast some bread put peanut butter and toasted marshmallow onto it. We'd call it a fluffernutter. We thought, yeah, we like that. That was a nice little treat. And yeah, we just spiked it and turned it into alcohol. Our apple pie, you know, some of these don't come right off the bat. Like our vodka took almost a year to get the base recipe right. But our apple pie, we got through three different versions. Uh, two, I did, really just didn't appeal to me. One was too close to someone else's, which... I definitely don't like. And what happened is we were at home and my wife says, well, I'm going to make an apple pie. So she grabs my grandmother's recipe book and I'm standing right beside him. We're looking at it and going, you know, this is kind of interesting. So grandma's recipe, we just spiked it and it's perfect. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a nice story. Are yeah. there, do you actually soak real apples in the spirit? Actually, yeah, there's, yeah, there is, uh, there's two different types of apples and then there's cider and it's all locally, uh, Wellesley cider, as well as, uh, Martin's, uh, apples that all comes into us and we use mulling spices as well as apple pie spices. And it just creates the flavor that we get. Okay, cool. Cool. And before you started the distillery, did you go like to visit a lot of other distilleries to learn from other people or you just decided I'm going to do it? Oh, no, no. Yeah, we, we visited an amazing amount of other distilleries. Uh, we actually even went down to Florida when I was looking for someone to manufacture our design. We were we contacted two companies, Carl uh, Verdone, and we were looking at them and we'd sent them the, the, the design we wanted. And then we ended up having to go down to Florida to inspect another, uh, company that was overseas and they shipped it to this one fellow. And we went down and looked at the quality and the quality was just fantastic. So, you know, we ended up going with that company and dealing with them and we, we take the tours like everyone else. Uh, we do get, quite often a chance to sit in the back room and discuss a few things. And from that we learn. So I'm very much a sponge on information. So if I hear something and it's something I can relate to or something that I could use, it tends to stay in my head. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit there and pump everybody for the recipes. Don't care about your recipes. Your processes are far more interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> recipes I can do in my head. So that's no big deal. Okay. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So uh, where, where are you working right now? I've been... Uh... Where, where am I working right now? Uh, I've, 
I'm kind of doing some video editing and shooting some videos for like a home brew equipment store right now. And then I've got a distilling exam in June. Um, okay. And then I might have a job where I have to leave the country for a bit in June, but I don't know yet. It's, it's yeah. one of those weird things where like people see my YouTube channel and then they reach out to me, but then I get quite suspicious. I'm like, who are you? Is this a scam? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. There is some of that you have to be careful of, especially, uh, you know what? I watched what you've done and I thought, wow, what a crazy intelligent woman this is, you know, to, to, have created this move from your food a bit. And, you know, sorry, I wasn't a big fan of the food bit. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but when you got into the distilling and explaining and you, you've, you've been hired by these other companies to, well, they're going to benefit from it as well. You know, they, they get their name out. They get uh, uh, some acknowledgement from what you've done. But for you to be able to learn and show the processes uh, especially for the home market, uh, the home distillers or the uh, home brewers, you've done some amazing things, you know, in, in Shakespeare, especially that, uh, the gin, uh, sheet you put up with all the botanicals, you know, that's, uh, that was a godsend to a lot of people I've talked to and I actually have it sitting on my desk here, you know, no. how, many, <laughs> how many grams do you use of this and that? So it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised by how well that video did and how popular it was because in the UK, they have a lot of gin distillery schools like that where people can just come in, make a bottle of gin. Yeah. Um, that's very common. So I didn't expect it to be people to be like that affected by it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? That's, that's another fascinating avenue that I saw that. And although you didn't, do an episode on a gin class, you saw enough to realize that that could be a highly entertaining uh, uh, approach to the customers. So we're looking at, you know, uh, doing uh, the small stills is that's cheap enough and having the space to do it. That's easy enough. That could be an engaging thing for someone who wanted to do a craft gin and learn. You know, there's the shelf. Uh, you know, we're, we're actually going to steal some of the ideas for shelving some of our botanicals from what we've watched on your site. <laughs> but it allows the people to choose having the, the chart of what botanicals, the weights of the botanicals and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it, it you can get them to imagine. And if you've done the prep for them where they can actually smell and maybe even taste each individual grain, you know, having lists like this, they can choose from, and these are readily available from your YouTube channel, and it's great. You know, it's it's just it's an incredible amount of information that, for someone who's just starting, is unbelievable to give them the leg up and know which direction to go. And it's also for distilleries when they see something like that and go, "I can do that," and my customers would love that. We don't have that over here as a rule. Yeah, you know, a lot of people do it like maybe a barrel or that sort of thing. But gin's a big market all around the world. So to do something like that, that might be an experience for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be cool. So how did you 
start getting into distilling? Like, yeah, when did you start? What age were you? I guess 13, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, back then, it's uh, you're, you're at an age where uh, alcohol is for effect. You know, it's you're, you're young, you're really stupid. Um, yeah, I did. And I, I didn't have knowledge. I, we don't have uh, hydrometers. We don't have anything. Don't have a clue what specific gravity even means. So basically, you're, you're a stealing grandma's pressure cooker. You're throwing molasses and water into it, and you pitch some yeast. And then the odd time, you'll throw a vitamin into it. Uh, so, yeah, what I made at the beginning was we called it molasses shine because no way you could call it rum. And it was nasty. Um, but it was still better than what my cousins were doing, so I was quite happy. Uh, when we came into it, when we decided about five years ago to, to actually approach this a little better, I was able to, you know, become friends with a local distiller. So distilling, home distilling in Canada is illegal. And it is in the States as well, federally. For, uh, statewide, you know, they have some allowances. I promised my wife that I wouldn't do anything illegal. And, you know, that the statute of limitations when I was 13, they're long gone. So I'm good there. Okay. <laughs> so... Although I did all the mashing in my garage, I built the stills in my garage. Uh, I oftentimes would clean them in my garage. So my garage was all hooked up for it. But when I put the mash into the still, I was at my buddy's distillery. So I never. You were at where, sorry? At, at a friend of mine's distillery. Oh, okay. So that way I never broke the law. Um, we we did most of our cuts, most of our things there, and all the alcohol we made from those days were destroyed. It all went down. <laughs> yeah. So once again, I didn't, you know, once it's aired out and once I've tasted it, I see the profiles and see what I want, go back and start working on the still again, make something different. You know, I've, I went, my still was a line arm still. Then I went and I started creating a tower still, and I built my own bubble plates, and I show all how all that's done. And then from there, I went and started doing a, a, a pot still, and then thumper still, a double thumper still. So exploring all those avenues and things that we could do. Um, now, before we started this, uh, and before everyone else got to see this, I took you on a tour of the distillery, and you saw Bob and Doug, which are two stills. That was from experimenting because I can do some pretty neat things with those two. I can load a brandy in one, a green in the other. And when they mix molecularly up in the, in the columns, it's a completely different flavor than if I took the two liquids and mix them. So I get some very unique flavors. No one can touch me on uh, just from having the two stills. You saw that I had some mixing totes there. One actually is, was hooked up to my condenser. And from my condenser, it pours right into that uh, mixing tote. Uh, it's all stainless steel, a little motor on it, a whole bit. But those totes are also set up that down the road, we are going to try and do our rums in our whiskey tower. But down the road, if, if that's not good enough, then we can turn those two uh, totes, those mobile totes, into double thumpers. 
So we've yeah. already planned for the future of that. Rome will be happening this summer, um, as long as the government stops smacking us down, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's. I've never uh, heard of um, a double thumper before. Yeah, so you've heard of a thumper. You know what the, yeah. that is. So it goes out of the still into the bottom of a vessel, and it percolates through the liquids in there. So, and you have some options there. You can put it just a back set. Uh, you can put a dunder if you want. Not my favorite cup of tea, but uh, and you can put in. Uh, you could do alcohol or even water. You can add flavorings to it, so they get picked up as they go through. So you come out of the still into the bottom of the uh, first thumper. It comes out the top, goes into the bottom of the next thumper, and then goes out into the condenser. So it allows you to do a lot of things. It cleans up the spirit. You can load different flavors in each thumper and let that do some certain things. So there's there's some neat things. The only problem is when you put a thumper in a system, you're still is now a closed system. It's a closed loop. We're not we're not overly concerned. Uh, if you're doing it at home, uh, like, like if you're doing a small scale, there's some very big safety concerns with using thumpers mm -hmm. uh, because a closed system can become a dangerous system. Our stills all have uh, pressure and vacuum relief valves onto them, so we don't have the concerns that, that typically fall in with a thumper system. Um, but I have seen, you know, I've seen videos where someone shuts off the, uh, the heat to their still, and within two minutes, the whole still starts to implode. <laughs> yeah, if you don't make it atmospheric, it's it's going to suck a still in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious because you have so much experience. Like you said, you designed airplanes, aircrafts. Yes. Yeah. So what, um, like, what is your favorite design of still? Like, why did you design your stills the way that you did? Uh, our flavor profile. I, I'm aiming for a specific profile for sure. Uh, I do like a Scottish style. I drink, you know, I enjoy scotch. So is my wife. Although she is the more iodine PD, you know, uh, peat monster. Uh, me, not so much. I do like the, the Highlands, the Sherry's. So... We ended up with a wide body uh, uh, still, both of them, and we ended up with a helmet design that is typically seen in a Scottish style, you know, on a spirit still. So that that complements what we do. It works incredibly well for a bourbon style. Um, although once again we're Canadian, we can only call it whiskey. Um, the rye, rye's beautiful out of it. We're quite happy with that. And, uh, you know, we can, our still can run any amount of plates. So we've got the four plate tower. We can add that. Or we can run straight pot still. We can run both the stills together, uh, running the same product or running two different products. Or we can run each still individually. So, you know, when we're doing stripping runs in, in the vodka, we load up one with a mash. And the other one is the storage of the uh, the spirit coming out. So we just keep cycling them until we get the uh, first still filled with the uh, the the wash from the, the runoff from the uh, stripping runs. Cut it to forty percent. Run that still again. Now we're going to be running it through uh, twenty five plates, and we've already run it through four plates. So basically, our, our vodka is almost thirty times distilled with theoretical plates, of course. Oh, great. And what do you what are your thoughts on the importance of copper 
in distilling. It, remember I had said we took a course with Lullamint. Uh, Lullamint is a yeast company. They're one of the, in our opinion, one of the top brands. And, and the knowledge that they have is fantastic. And they share it with their distillers that are part of their group. And we learn a lot. We're on, uh, we, we get quite a few updates. We've got their books. And uh, we are questioning because there's a lot of people that say you don't need copper. And there's some videos going, yeah, you don't need copper. It's a waste. And then there's other people going that you have to have copper. So we know that copper removes the sulfates from the fermentation process. And while we were at the yeast course one time at Lullivan, they brought out samples, one which actually didn't scrub out any of the sulfates and unbelievably horrible. You, you couldn't believe how fast you could pick up the sulfur in there. So although it's minuscule on a large run, it is there. And once you know what that tastes like, it's amazing how often you can pick it out. So your, your stance is copper is very important. I, I, the appropriate amount. And, you know, you, you don't need an all copper still. You don't need all yeah. copper towers. Uh, so the, the base of my still, the whole, the whole still itself up to the helmet is all stainless steel. Mm -hmm. Copper is not going to do any good there, really. The helmet, the helmet is copper. So the helmet is starting to, to do some of that. From the helmet to the whiskey tower, the whiskey tower is completely copper. So everything I do runs through that. It strips it out, and they get clean quite often. The, the vodka towers, they're all stainless steel, except inside. Inside is completely copper. Mm. And then we get to the condenser. The outside casing, the part that everybody sees is all stainless steel. The tubes on the inside are copper. It's mm -hmm. doing a job. So yeah. we calculated roughly the amount of copper that was going to be necessary. And then we put a third in extra so that we know that in every run, we successfully remove our sulfates. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for asking or answering that question. Because yeah. I know there's like so much debate around copper, copper right. and right. whether it, it does anything. Yeah, it, oh, it definitely does something. Uh, you can see that. The, the chemical analysis will show that. That's just simple <laughs> science. Uh, so it does. Whether or not you can pick it out and is it that important to you, that's a personal choice for us. Yeah, it was just too nasty uh, after getting that snoot full of it. We'll, we'll make sure that we never get that. And you know what? If, even if you're for distilleries that have mostly a stainless steel system, they typically throw in a copper mesh. So uh, you can do a few other things too. You know, it's uh, don't, don't forget your uh, condenser. Uh, my condenser was running too fast. So I wanted to slow it down a bit. So what I did is I took rolls of copper, rolled it all up, stuck it all up into the pipes inside the uh, co in, inside the condenser. It slows the vapor down, condenses it twice as good, and I still see sulfur getting on that copper. So I take them out after every run, rinse them out in citric acid, put them back in, and they're ready to go again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard another distillery do the same thing. They just have a big copper mesh, and then they stuff it up, and then they take it back out after every run and clean yep. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, we're just you know once again my my condenser is a shotgun style, so there's a bunch of one inch tubes inside the twelve inch uh, ca casing. So yeah, I just roll it up and just stick it up inside the one inch tube. Works beautifully. <laughs> so do you have like uh, any advice for anyone who wants to make the leap from being a home distiller into a professional distiller? Oh my God, follow in your footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. You have done the most amazing thing. Uh, to, to The amount, of, and you can see it, it's visual. The amount that you have learned in the last year is visual. And you're in leaps and bounds of what you've done. You're, you're, you've taken an approach different than anyone I've ever seen. And you're an incredibly smart woman for it. You know, you've done an amazing job. So, you know, uh, Brewbird, nah, smart bird. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. But yeah, oh, it's God. a, yeah, to get that type of experience, most people would have to go through a lot of schooling for. What you can do is find a distillery that is open. So it's going to be a smaller artisan distillery. Offer your services typically for free. Even if it's washing the floor, 90% of a distillery's job is cleaning. And, you know, you, there's a never ending amount of cleaning. You'd learn while cleaning. And the distillers are going to talk to you. They're going to tell you what they're doing, what their process is. You're watching. And as long as you get everything nice and clean, they'll keep teach, teaching you. So that's a great way to do it. And at the end of the day, you know, after a month of cleaning the same fermenter over and over and over again and watching the, the mash empty all over the floor and realizing just how sticky that's going to be, or in your case, how sticky molasses is going to be on the floor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's what you learn from it will entice you or push you away from it. So, you know, throw yourself into it. Know what you're getting into. Uh, to to have that great tasting spirit at the very end, that creation that you have done, you've labored over, that's great, but that's only like a half a percent of the whole job. So <laughs> you, you've been there, you know it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> oh, God, I do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, come back to the question. Uh, what's the best way? Follow your footsteps. You have done an amazing job in, in your approach and your availability. So, you know, no one has the luxury, very few would have the luxury you do, uh, to leave Canada, go to Scotland and work at a distillery and learn. Uh, that's only things that people can dream of. Uh, you know, you're at an age and, and you're at a, uh, an availability to do these things that few of us have that chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I when I tried emailing these distilleries, I really didn't think I would be able to get it. It was just a shot in the dark, and then someone actually was like, "Okay, come over." I yep. was I was so shocked. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? What's good? Yeah, you have the personality that you will take that risk. You will endure, and uh, you know it's uh, what you send out seventy five to a hundred uh, re resumes to ask for, and if you get one call, you're successful. You've done well. 
Yeah. Because it only takes one at the end of the day. Even if two people offer you a job, you can only work at one of them. Yep. 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 And, you know, it's uh, a lot of people, the younger generation, uh, have an issue with hearing no. So uh, when I grew up and I see in what you're doing is you're going to always get a hundred no's to one yes. So yeah. don't ever be afraid of a no. You know, it's yeah. if learn from it, move on and just, you know, keep at it. We love no's. Yeah, no, because even when I was sending those emails, when I got a rejection letter, I would actually be so happy that someone even, you know, spared the time to write me a rejection letter because a yeah. lot of times they just won't say anything. Yeah, yeah. So if you see, and typically they may say why or whatever, but if you see it, then you know that someone has been inter interested enough to care for your you know, emotion and give you a reply. So that's, that's a great amount of information, you know, and, and for the 50 that didn't reply to you, they weren't worth going to visit anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so this is the last question I have for you. If you could go back in time and you knew this pandemic was happening, would you, have started the distillery when you did, or would you have waited? Oh, you know what? That's a really hard one. A, we can never go back, so there's no sense kicking yourself for it. You just okay. move forward and make the best of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I probably would have continued along the path. It would have been nice to open up and get a year under our belt, um, especially because both the wife and I are the type of people that we have a large amount of empathy. We do a lot of charity work. So when it came time to those hospitals screaming and everything else, we're not saying, well, you're going to pay this much per liter of sanitizer. No, we donated almost all of it. Now we did have some on the counter for construction companies, this and that, and they came in. Yeah. And oftentimes, because we knew what our profit margin was, so the people who were in an industry that was still functioning, they came in and bought a sanitizer. We took the profit margin from that and turned it into a donation to a place that we wouldn't normally donate to because we were after the frontline workers. But the, uh, the, the donation clothing store, the, the food bank, we donated to these people as well. So, and that came out of the profits of the, what the people bought. So, yeah, for the first little while, oh yeah, the money going out the door was phenomenal. Uh, it was left, you know, left and right. And in a first year of business, that's not really a good business model to work from. <laughs> but we were once again, we we were in a position. Uh, we knew what our funds were that we could do it. We, we knew we were going to get hurt. We are going to get slapped silly. But, you know, uh, as you hear Jesse say, I am such a Muppet at times. But, yeah, uh, it, it was a Muppet moment that we just went with. Uh, we feel we didn't have any choice. You know, we couldn't in good conscience <laughs> not do what we did. So, yeah, it would have been nice to have an extra year under our belt first. Um, it... We got caught off guard a couple of times. Uh, whenever a job went out of my control, we didn't end up with the greatest of results. Uh, so like when our boiler got installed, 
the company that installed it, never done one before. So we had to pay for them to learn. Uh, that, that drives me crazy. Um, now, I can read a book and install something, uh, but I had to pay them to go and learn how. Uh, so things like that just drive me around the bend. But they were out of my control. You can't install a boiler without a gas license, and that's a requirement. And I didn't have time to get a gas license. Yeah, it just wasn't happening. Same with an electrician. You know, it's uh, what we had planned. The guy was super nice, but we ended up going way overhead. And, you know, some of that was my fault, too, in giving direction. Um, should know better on that one. Well, I mean, thank you so much for talking to me today, Mark. Hey, Robert, I have been just impressed. I've watched your videos. Um, I've seen your interview with uh, Jesse from Stillet. And and I'm sorry, it, it's from the gray side of life. Uh, you are still a young woman, and you have thoroughly been impressive with what you've done and how you've approached things. And the... the <laughs> The speed in which you learn and experiment, is it just does our heart good to watch. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm hoping at some point in time you will make it through Ontario, drop in for a visit. Uh, we are hoping at some point in time that Jesse and George are going to come up and visit with us. Well, there's no plans on it. There's no dates or anything else. But, uh, you know, we've talked enough that we'd like to all get together. So, uh, yeah. And uh, it'd be great to include you with something like that. You know, make it a nice little party. Oh, yeah. No, I'd be interested in visiting <laughs> Ontario again. I never got a chance to see uh, Niagara Falls. I've only oh, you're kidding. No, no. So we're, we're only, we're about two hours away from Niagara Falls. Uh, it, it's, it, it's a local feature to us, so we're not always going down there. But what might interest you is when you come up, uh, Niagara College, they have a distilling and a brewing course. Oh, yes. And they have their own little store there. So it's pretty neat to see some of the ideas they're coming up with, too. So it's an impressive stop as well. And since you're down mm -hmm. that area, you know, there's, there's a lot of neat things you can see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that when i can yep yep and all those niagara uh wineries there yeah that's a, that's a whole day event right there <laughs> yes 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 that'll be super interesting okay well thank you and i'll see you soon hopefully it's been a pleasure Rupert. give me a shout whenever you need me okay bye bye